I greet all of you in the wonderful name of Jesus and I would like to welcome you to this broadcast of Dynamic Web Church. It's a privilege for me to come and just share the message of grace with you. Today I've got something special for you and I believe that you're going to be blessed. We're going to have communion today so I would like you to get everything ready for the communion. Just get the elements ready and we're going to have communion. We're going to have a wonderful message about that by Pastor Alan Spiegel. And um, man, this is just an awesome message. And I just thought, man, let me get this up for you. You must listen to this. This is also uploaded onto our website. It's a new upload um, on the homepage. Maybe you haven't seen it yet because sometimes the internet takes a while to refresh the homepage. You must just press F5 a couple of times on the homepage of Dynamic Web Church or Dynamic Love Ministries. And then you will see uh, a button there that says the conference is uploaded. And you can go and watch that under WordWell. But we want to broadcast that for you today. And then afterwards we're going to have communion together. And I'm going to just um, take you through that. And just with a mindset of Jesus Christ on that. Amen. I also would like to welcome all the first time viewers of Dynamic Web Church. You are so welcome to be part of us. We're a family. We are people that just want to gather around the word of God's grace. The word of His unconditional love. Because we want that word to impact our lives. We want to be part of who God is. Uh, I also believe that I've come to a place in my life where I, I've just said, man, I'm tired of trying to be like Jesus. Now that sounds wrong, but it's actually a very good place to be. To be tired of trying to be like Jesus, but to just receive the being of God and to allow God to live in you. Amen. And to have a place where you can live with your mind at rest, your mind at peace, uh, um, a stress Free life. You know, I, um, the other day in a, in a shop I saw a magazine where this one lady, she had uh, breast cancer and it was quite severe, but she got healed from that. And then she wrote an article and she said that stress is much more of a killer than cancer. And she said it's much more difficult to overcome stress than cancer. So the, the wonderful thing about the love of God in First John chapter 4, it says so clearly, it says that Fear involves torment, but perfect love has cast out all fear. Hallelujah. Because it's taken away all torment. The message of God's grace is not a message that will torment you. It's not a message that will bring you to a place where you must now bow your knee or. That's not the message of the cross. The message of the cross is an empowering message of God's love. Of how God feels about you. Of how God cares for you. And the vision that we have here, your first time viewer, is just to see that people all over the world can come to a place where they have their pers- own personal relationship with God. And from that relationship, find the life of God living in them. You know, I don't think, and this is the way Joseph Prince also said this, it is, um, we're not blessed today because of the mercy of God. We are blessed today because of the righteousness of God. God was merciful in giving His Son, but... It, is, um, it would be unrighteous if we as Christians uh, cannot have peace. Peace has been given to us. The only thing that we must do is we must believe the correct gospel. Otherwise, we will not find that peace really indwelling us. God doesn't bless us now because He's just merciful. He has been merciful. And His mercy produced a platform where every man can receive the very being of God, the blessing of God, because we are in Christ Jesus. For God to come and judge us because we do something wrong or think something wrong um, would be unfair. 
would be unjust from God's side because for Him to judge us, He needs to judge Jesus, where Jesus is seated today. And we've received the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. And the wonderful thing is, and I've been speaking to, to, um, to Vessel and Janet about that and Eliana, is that, you know, we can become the righteousness of God, but there's also a place where we receive justification. We can receive the mercy of God, but there's a place where we start to live in the grace of God. There's a great difference between mercy and grace. Hallelujah. Mercy is God treating, you, God treating you better than you deserve, but the grace of God is God's enabling power, just placing you into the very being of God. Hallelujah. Influencing you in your heart and in your actions into the being of God. That is awesome. So that's why it's impossible to be to say that grace is a license to sin. Because it is impossible. It, it is like... Um, it, it, I can't even think of an example. I think the greatest example of an impossibility is saying grace is a license to sin. That's the greatest impossibility. You can say, you know, man cannot walk on water or man cannot fly. or It's like... If, if, you know, the, the Bible says God cannot lie. God cannot lie. In the same way, it's impossible to be under grace and to say grace is a license to sin. Those things never go together. Grace is God's enablement unto God's being. Hallelujah. So that, that's why we want to just minister the grace of God. And what I've seen with Pastor Allen is that he really has got a grace perspective on the message, um, a grace perspective on the message of the communion. It's not a place of a consciousness of your sins, but it's a consciousness of Jesus Christ. And it's got some wonderful revelation about that. And I would like you guys to enjoy that. Now, before we get into that, um, oh yeah, I also want to say this, that while you listen to this, I will not be in the studio. We'll be in Durban, um, in a conference there. Basically, just a, a, a weekend thing where we're going to preach to some businessmen and some church people, and this is also uh, in preparation for a crusade that we will have in Natal in March. So I'm excited about that, so uh, if you guys want to pray for me, you can do that during the worship, you can just pray for, for, for me, and just open your heart and say, my God, thank you that Bert is blessed, and this message of grace is being preached with power. Amen. You know, I found that, um, uh, uh, many churches, and I've always thought maybe maybe it's the way I say things, or um, maybe I'm too radical or something. That when people are a little bit in the law, it's they they just reject me completely. You know, they'll they'll just say, "Bertie, we we love you as a person, but man, what you preach is just too much for me, and and it will close doors." Um, but those that's got an open heart towards grace, you know, they don't even invite me to preach at the churches. They say. Man, whenever you want to come, you're invited. You know, so just tell us when you're coming and you can come and minister here. And that's what I want there. I want to minister the grace of God in a way that the people can hear it and accept it. I know that the message of, of the cross is a stumbling block to people that's law-minded. It doesn't matter how you say it. They don't stumble over how you say it, but over what you say. But if you guys want to pray for me, do say this prayer that they will if they stumble it will be over what I say and not how I say it Amen. I want to say it in a way that it can be accepted to them the message of God's grace we can never compromise on what we say but we can definitely compromise on how we say things 
but not on what we say. And what we say is that it's not by our obedience, but by the obedience of Jesus Christ, that we've been made the righteousness of God, and that we've received the being of God, and the nature of God, and not by our obedience do we walk in the power of God, and manifest the holiness of God, but by the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And that's an effortless life. Amen. Hallelujah. Now that just sounds to to somebody's mind, how can one have an effortless life? Yes, you can. And that is what God gives us. Amen. And let's just keep our eyes on the finished work of the cross. Now I want to read a scripture in Luke chapter 11 verse 33. And this is the reason why we put such an emphasis on the message of grace. It says, No man, when he has lit in a candle, puts it in a secret place, neither under a bushel or a bucket, uh, but on a candlestick that they which come in may see the light. So what he's saying here is, he says, when you, um, when you light up a candle, in other words, when you get a revelation, you know, you will not hide it. It's impossible to hide the revelation or your viewpoint. You cannot hide it. No man hides it. So there's nobody that, you know, so many, so many times we say, yeah, you know, you've got this revelation about Jesus, but you're hiding it. No, you cannot hide what you believe. It's impossible. Um, what a person believes is what he shows forth. It's what manifests in his life. You know, when you talk to somebody, you can immediately see from what perspective does he interpret Scripture, from what perspective does he live his life. He cannot hide what he believes. Because the Bible says what the heart is full of flows out of the mouth. So if your heart is full of a, 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 a works mentality, it produces death, and that, that's what will be in your mouth. You know, it's like... Um, this one lady came and she said, and I can just, man, God bless her, and I've got nothing against her as a person, but what she said isn't full of life. She said, you know, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you shall forgive. And, um, and what does God say? How many times shall you forgive? You shall forgive 70 times 7, you shall forgive. Thus says the Lord. And you shall do it, for God says it. And don't say it's difficult, for the Bible says that His commands is not burdensome. So get busy forgiving. Now, that's just the way she said it, in that same tone of voice. You know, and I just realized, man, that is such a wrong interpretation of that scripture. Not that I want to gun her down, but what I want to just say is, what the heart is full of flows out of, and and her heart is full of two things. Number one, zeal for the things of God and an honesty and a sincerity, and that we can see, but from a perspective of the law. Now, I don't want to judge the person um, and say that person is not going to heaven and God doesn't bless that person. Man, that person is a child of God. She believes in Jesus Christ. Amen. And God bless her. But um, And that's why I will not uh, tell her name, because I don't want to break her down. But what I want to just say is this, is, is that the perspective from where we live can can and will be seen in our lives. And this is what it says. No man, when he has lit in a candle, puts it under a, uh, in a secret place, neither under a bucket, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body, or that which shines out of you, that which people will see, um, is the eye. In other words, what he's saying there is what shines out of you is your perspective or your take on things. That's what will shine out of you. Therefore, when your eye is single, the whole body is full of light. When your eye is single, 
the whole body is full of light. But when your eye is evil, your body is full of darkness. In other words, what he's saying, what he's saying there is, and what I like about this, it says when your eye is single, now that word single, there's different Greek meanings for that, but I want to just make it very simple. If you just look at one thing, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father. If that's what you look at, and that's your viewpoint for everything, just that one thing, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, now evil in the Bible, when we look at the writings of Paul, he says it's evil to have a law perspective on things. So when, you, when your revelation about things is a law revelation, your whole body, what, the light that shines out of you will be darkness. Now, if we don't want to talk in metaphors and those type of things, let's, or in typology, let's put it this way. If your revelation and your take on things is grace, your whole life will be a life of grace. If your take on things is the law, your whole life will be full of the law. That's what he's saying. Now let's go to verse 35. Take heed therefore that the light which is in you be not darkness. So what he's saying, watch out that the revelation you have is not the revelation of the law. If your whole body therefore is full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light as when the bright shining of a candle does give thee light. So what he's saying there, and we can go deep into that as well, and the return of the Lord and what really happened there. But he says, when, you, when you've got no part um, under a law perspective, you will find the bright shining of the glory of God out of you. Amen. It will not be a law-based thing. You'll not experience death, but you'll experience life. Amen. So, that's what we want to say here. If you've slotted in, we want to just assure you, that um, to the best of what we can hear from God and see in the Scriptures, we will always have a grace-based perspective on everything. Amen. So when we go into the communion today, it's going to be grace-based. When we go into the worship today, it's going to be grace-based. Hallelujah. Enjoy the worship and directly after the worship, Pastor Alan Spiegel, and this was recorded at the conference, if I haven't said that, um, in Johannesburg, and after that, I will just join you guys again and we're going um, to we're gonna have communion together. Amen. Thank you and enjoy the worship. Your love is the light. 
but the size of your ministry are whether you're ordained, not ordained, or not even called to ministry has no bearing whatsoever on your value. I used to think when I first started pastoring, ministering back in the early 80s, that if I just had a bigger church, I would be more valuable to God. I'd be more, I'd feel more important. No, you're important to God. Everybody say this, say, I am important. I'm loved. I am accepted. I'm free. I'm not condemned. I have life. Lots of life. And today, open my heart to receive all God has for me. And that's a lot. Amen. Well, I tell you, last night of the conference, you know, you got so many directions you want to go, and you that speak a lot understand that. I want you to turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be sharing communion at the end of the service tonight. I'm going to share a couple of verses out of Hebrews 8, and then we'll get into most of the notes. Don't know that we will finish those, but they're there for your reference in the future if we don't get to those. I may share some things tonight with you concerning communion that you've never heard. Because when it comes time for communion, most people feel unworthy, guilty, and condemned. Can anybody identify with that? And because we've, we've really misunderstood a lot of what the Bible actually says about communion... So when it comes time for communion, I remember, I remember when I was pastoring back in the 80s, early 80s, mid 80s, I guess, early to mid 80s. In our denomination, we would have communion on the same Sunday every month, fourth, the fourth Sunday. And it was the least attended Sunday of the month. Anybody know what? I mean, they, everybody dreaded it. I dreaded it. Because I didn't not understand what communion was really all about and how to approach it. So while, and again, I emphasize something to you. I may share some things tonight that you have to think about. You may, you may or may not settle it in your heart tonight. But don't turn it off. Because God meant for communion to be a time of celebrating what Jesus did, not what we've done. Hebrews chapter 8 says, starting with verse 6, it says, But now he hath obtained, talking about Jesus, a more excellent ministry, by how much much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Everybody say, better covenant. A better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there should have been no place sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the day comes, says the Lord. And we're living in that day. I will make a new covenant. Everybody say, new covenant. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them up out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Talking about the day that you and I live in. 
says the cross. I will put my law, my word, into their mind, and I'll write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. For they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least unto the greatest. Aren't you glad you can know God for yourself? And I love this verse. Verse 12 says, And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Then verse 13 says, In that he saith the new covenant, in that he made the new covenant, he made the, excuse me, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. There's a few things I want to bring out kind of briefly and quickly here. Concerning the better covenant, what makes it a better covenant? The first thing that makes it a better covenant is the covenant that you and I enjoy, God did not make with us. Now this may come as a shock to you tonight, but you do not have a, you do not have a covenant with God. God made this covenant with Jesus. And the fact that He made the covenant with Jesus means that the covenant, you, you, you and I cannot break this covenant. I can't, I, you know, my, I'll often use this illustration. When my wife and I go away on a trip, we have a, what would you say, a mortgage or a note? A loan on our home. and Huh? Bond. Have a bond on our home. And so while we're going away, our children stay at our house and they can't go and break the contract on that bond. Because the bond is not between them and the, the, the holder of the bond. It's between my wife and I and the bond holder. And see, the contract that you and I, or the covenant that you and I are enjoying today is a covenant that God made with Jesus. Therefore, it is a covenant that our disobedience cannot break. Y'all doing okay? Yeah. Alright, so first thing is, is the covenant that you and I enjoy is a covenant that God made with Jesus. We get the benefits. Second thing we see in verse 8 is that it is not a fault-finding covenant. He said there in verse 8, for finding fault with them, he said, I'm going to make a new covenant. And this new covenant that I'm going to make is not going to be a fault-finding covenant. I'm glad that I've come to realize and know and experience that my relationship that I have with God is not a fault-finding covenant. And the reason it cannot be fault-finding is because the covenant that you and I have the benefits and enjoy was not made with you and I. It was made with the sinless Christ who took our sin and the judgment that you and I justly deserve. So thank God it's not fault-finding. You know, interesting thing about the old covenant, the old covenant demanded that you change for acceptance but did not empower change. The new covenant does not demand that you change to be accepted, yet it empowers you to change. 
It causes you to change. And, and the change that we're talking about is an effortless change. It's not something that you just grit your teeth and, and by your own will you, you change. But it's a change that takes place by you, in you, by the Holy Ghost, by the Word of God, sinking down, changing our thoughts. And we begin to change from the inside to the outside. So the new covenant that you and I enjoy is not a fault-finding covenant. And then the next thing, in verse 9 it says, the covenant ensures that you will never be disregarded. See, it says there, under the old covenant, when they disregarded me, I disregarded them. But under this new covenant, when you disregard God or you walk off from God, He never walks off from you. Hmm. Let me give you one example of this. At the end of uh, John chapter 13, Jesus was having a conversation about to go to the cross. And, you know, Peter was saying, oh, I'm with you, man. I'm with you, Jesus. You can count on me. I will be with you. Everybody else may leave you, Jesus. But I'm telling you, I'm there. Jesus said, before the cock shall crow, you shall deny me three times. Now, the chapter ends there. But the conversation continues in chapter 14. Now, I'm about to mess up a funeral verse. He said, Peter, he said, you will deny me. I mean, he ends, the cha- he ends John 13. Understand now, the Bible, when the Bible was not written in chapters and verses, uh, you know, translators put it in chapters and verses for reference points, but sometimes it helps you misunderstand what's being said. It's like we think that Jesus made that statement, you know, uh, you know, at the end of chapter 13, verse 38, For verily I say unto you, before the cock shall crow, you're going to die me three times. And it's like, we kind of read that like, okay, end the conversation, now let's go to the next thing. Uh-uh. He says, Peter, you will deny me three times, but let not your heart be troubled. In other words, Peter, you may change how you feel about me before the sun comes up tomorrow, but don't be troubled. I'm not going to change how I feel about you. That's right. He said, Peter, let not your heart be troubled over this. You believe in God, believe also in me. Remember, remember what it says? It says, in my Father's house there are many mansions. Now, we've kind of called that buildings, you know. But really, I mean, thank God we're going to have a house to live in when we get there. But it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about dwelling places. here. He says, Peter... He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, there are many dwelling places. Aren't you glad He's got a place for you? And He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive unto myself that there, where I am, there you may be also. Whether I go, you know, and the way you go. And, of course, Thomas said, we don't know. And he said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So really, here's what Jesus says. Peter, before the, before the cock crows tomorrow, three times you're going to deny me, but don't be troubled about it. You know what? God is not troubled about your failures. He does not like the fact that it's our, our mistakes and decisions can shape and form and destroy our lives. But I'm telling you something. He says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me, but listen up. He says, don't let your heart become troubled over your failure. 
Because I'm going to prepare a place for you in the family. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you in the family, he says, I will come back and I will receive you unto myself. So this covenant that you and I enjoy today, thank God for this new covenant. This covenant that you and I enjoy today ensures that our failures do not separate us from God. Number four. Fourth thing about the new covenant. Verse 10 says, this covenant allows us to know God by experience. The fifth thing, and I love verse 12, it says that this covenant, he says there, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Now, get to what I'm saying here. You know what this word merciful means? It means gracious, cheerful, and cheerfulness that attracts. He said, I will show you gracious cheerfulness that will attract you to me when you have sin in your life, when you, when you fail. Now, I don't know about you, but the, 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 the mindset that I have about my earthly father was not one, he would be cheerful when I failed. I would run from him rather than to him. But God says, and Jesus said there, he said, Peter, he said, you know, or, and the writer of Hebrews says, he says, this covenant, he says, I will be merciful, I will be gracious, and I will show cheerfulness to you, even in your failures. Folks, if we have failure in our life, there's no reason to run from God, we can run to God. Amen. Because of this new covenant. Zephaniah 3.17 says how that in, in, he will rest in silent satisfaction and make no mention of your past sins or recall them. I said this the other night. God is not recalling your sin and my sin, so why are we? See, under the new covenant, it ensures us that God's not going to be always bringing up what I did. Now, I've used this illustration many times, and I know Pastor Tom real well. And I may have used it the other night. I don't remember, but I'm going to do it again. Now, let's say that I had some major failure in my life, and Pastor Tom knew about that failure. But because he's the person that he is, he would never bring it up. He would, he would never talk about it. He would never mention it to me. But you know what? Every time I, got a, I came around Pastor Tom, even though he would not bring it up, I'd always, in my mind, know that he knows what I did. And you see, that's kind of the way we relate to God. It's like he knows all about this stuff, Pastor Steve, but he's not bringing it up. No, he doesn't recall what happened. Because he dealt with the sin issue in Jesus once and for all. It is a forever settled issue. No one goes to hell because of their sin. If somebody misses heaven, it's because they failed to believe. And if you do that, you'll go to hell. Isn't that amazing? It's always somebody else's sin that might send somebody to hell. See, the person misses heaven because of what they fail to believe, not because of what they do. 
And you see, under this new covenant, it's not a fault-finding covenant. So therefore, when it comes time for communion, however, in most churches, because we see God as a fault-finder, we have been taught some things about communion that are not correct. Now look at your notes there. Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now. You, you know when now is? It's now. It's not when I said it, it's now. It's not tomorrow. It's not five seconds ago. It's always right now, present tense. He says there's now, therefore, now, no condemnation. And condemnation is fearful expectation of judgment. He says there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, we see, we say, well, you know, there it is, there it is. You know, walking in the flesh, getting in sin? No, walking in the flesh in context of what's being spoken about in Romans chapter 8 is not some sinful deed that you're doing, but it is when you start trying to walk and be right with God by your performance. And as soon as you do that, he says there's going to be condemnation. Because the flip side of that is, when you're trusting in what the Spirit of God and what Jesus did for you at the cross in you, there is no condemnation because you're not trusting in your own performance. But you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus and the new covenant that He made with God our Father. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from law, sin, and death. And I really believe this, that condemnation is, a, is the greatest thief of abundant living. This is what I'm saying. It's not the devil. You know, Jesus said this about the Pharisees. Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, King James says, which is hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy is the same word as condemnation. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is condemnation. Fearful expectation of judgment. Beware of that. Why? Because the fearful expectation of judgment, condemnation, will rob you of the very life that Jesus died to give you. When you start relating to God, as we've said all week, you know, by your performance. Look at what it says in Romans 10, verses 1 through 4, the Living Bible. Dear brothers, my longing and my heart and my prayer is that the Jewish people, that they might be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for the honor of God, but it's misdirected zeal. They don't understand that Christ has died to make them right with God. Instead, they're trying to make themselves good, good enough to gain God's favor by keeping all the Jewish laws and customs. That's not God's way of salvation. They don't understand that Christ gives to those who trust in Him Everything they're trying to get by keeping his laws, he ends all that. Yeah, but I don't try to keep the Jewish laws. Yeah, but did you try to keep your prayer law? Your Bible reading law? Had a lady come to me one time, and she, she was just falling apart. I mean, she was. A, I mean, she was like a, just a, a nervous wreck, and she came in to see me, you know, and and I. And I I asked her, I said, she's a friend of the family, and I said, well, what's the matter? She said, I mean, why are you so emotionally torn up? And she said, I'm behind on my Bible, reading my Bible through program for in a year. <laughs> oh, we got deep problems here. 
And you see, she had set this law up in her mind. See, we might not keep the Jewish laws where we, you know, bring in a goat and, you know, and slaughter it and do all those things. You know, if you're going to keep the law, why don't you do that? I mean, why don't, why don't we just, if we don't, but you know why, how we do the law? We do it like eating at a, a buffet or smorgasbord where we just go down and pick out the pieces we're real good at keeping. So she said, well, I'm just, you know, I'm falling apart. My, I just, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm behind on my Bible reading program. And I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something that you probably never heard another pastor say. You may never hear another one say it. I said, if you went to the doctor and he gave you some medication to take, would you take it? Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm going to give you some medication. I said, I want you to come back and see me in two weeks, but for the next two weeks, don't read your Bible. But I'm going to get further behind on my, on my reading the Bible through program. I said, you have turned your Bible reading. Nothing wrong with reading your Bible. We need to read your Bible. There's life in that Bible. But the moment you turn it into your righteousness, you turn it into a law, the first time you can't keep it, you feel condemned. You feel like expect, you start expecting judgment in your life. So she came back in two weeks. I said, all right, for the next two weeks, you're going to have one verse. She came back after two weeks. and She said, I got more out of that verse and I was getting out of all them chapters I've been reading. Because she was just trying to meet a quota to please God. Amen? Amen. See, most of, most of what we've been taught in church separates the blessings of God from the salvation package. It's like now you're saved, and I think one, one of the speakers said this today, now that you're saved, you know, I've already given you my son, and you're not getting anything else out of me. How weird is that? You see, but we've been taught a doctrine that says, now that you're saved, you've got to get good enough for God to heal you. Amen? Amen. If you'll get good enough, God will heal you. I tell you, it's rough trying to be good enough. I've told the story a lot of times. I may have told it here last year. I don't remember, but, but it just came up in me. I'm going to tell it, but... I'd been on I'd been on the mission field in Mexico and and I sent a word home. You go down there, you know, or go somewhere and you see people healed and and these, you, boy, you get fired up. So I called home, said, uh, you know, Sunday night we're having a healing service. And before I got home, I was sick. And the last thing I wanted to do was have a healing service. So we had a, we had church that morning. I mean, I'm barely can stand up. I'm you know sick. You, you know, can, you can figure out what kind of sickness I had. And, and so I was sick, and so that morning, you know, I think, I don't want to have, I don't even want to have, I don't even want to come to church tonight, much less pray for sick people. Any pastors ever feel that way? Yeah. It's like, the people don't want to be there, you don't want to be there. Yeah, why are we here? <laughs> so that, so that morning I said, okay, we're going to have a healing service tonight, so that afternoon I just laid and was sick, and you know, all afternoon, and so it came time for the service that night, and we had praise and worship, and I got up and talked just a little bit, you know, 10, 15 minutes maybe. And, and, and so I bowed my head, and I, and, I was, and I said it. I said this. I said, okay, if you're here tonight and you need healing in your body, come on up here and we'll lay hands on you. And I kept my eyes closed, praying nobody would come. <laughs> and I opened my eyes, and they were lined up all the way across the front of the building. I thought, Great. 
And I remember I walked off the platform on this side and I thought, no desperate cases tonight. Maybe a few headaches, sore ankle, something. So go down here to the first guy on this end. And I said, what's the matter? I'm thinking no desperate cases, no blind people, no real cripples, you know, nothing desperate. I've been deaf in my left ear since I was born. Great. Just what I wanted, a deaf person. So I just did this. Honestly, I, I promise you, just like this, that's all I did. I, I prompt no more than this. In, in Jesus' name, be healed. So I get about three or four people down the road, and I hear somebody screaming. I leaned over to an usher, and I said, go find out who's making all that noise. He comes back and said, that man that you prayed for with the deaf ear, his ear popped open. It made me mad. Why did it make me mad? Because he had alcohol and tobacco on his breath. That really messed up my theology. I mean, every good Christian knows God doesn't heal people with alcohol on their breath and tobacco. So I we get through and I get through praying for those people. I'm mad. I go home and I, I sit down. I'm angry and I sit down in my chair with my wife and and daughters go to bed, and, and I'm sitting there, and I said, God, we're going to talk. I said, how is it, Lord? I've given my life for you. I'm sick. I can hardly stand up. I'm broke. I'm depressed. And I hate your people. And how is it, Lord? I've sacrificed. I sold my business to do this for you. I moved my family from a brand new house into a, a, a dump of a house. And, and, and you're going to heal a guy that's got alcohol and tobacco on his breath? What's up with that? And he said, what do you think he was depending on? I said, it definitely wasn't anything he's done. Then he got me. You know what I was depending on? My, I even said this. I said, God, he don't even tithe. He only come to church about once a month. And I tithe. I'm praying two hours a day, even though I don't want to. I don't drink. Overeat a little bit, but don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't, you know, say bad words. And here you heal a guy. With alcohol on his breath, bourbon to be exactly. I told this story one time at Ed Rickles Church, Arthur, and the main elder quit the church. He said he went out in the parking lot, started a big thing out in the parking lot of the church, saying that's a lie. Ain't no way God could heal somebody that uh, has got alcohol on his breath. Well, God, God can heal anybody. Matter of fact, the Bible says by His stripes we were healed. You know what he did? He came up there that night. He said, I ain't got, I have nothing to trust in but Jesus. Amen. He went off with an ear healed. I went home with my upset stomach and I'm angry. It's amazing what religion will do to you. 
No, the Bible says it's by grace we're saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. Because if it was of works, we'd brag about it like I did. Look at all I'm doing for you, Jesus. I've laid down my life for you, Jesus, and this is what I get. This is a thank you that you give me. Now, you, you, you may have never felt that way, but probably. It took me a long time to admit that. I was self-righteous. I deserved to be healed because. I was pitiful. I preached like you were going to hell and I was happy you were. <laughs> Look what it says there in John, uh, Matthew 7, 1 in your notes. We're skipping a little bit of this. He says, judge not that you be not judged. You know, we have been, we have been taught... Not to judge other people. But, I mean, it's not that we do it, but we've been taught not to. Yeah, we've been taught, don't judge others. I mean, we still do it. But we've been told not to. But we've never been taught not to judge yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul says, No, no man after the flesh. He said, we did one time to Jesus. Man, were we wrong? So we have been taught, and again, not that we actually do this stuff, but we have been taught, don't judge other people by the flesh. Now, we do it, but we shouldn't, but we do. But we've not been taught not to judge ourselves by the flesh. See, when you judge yourself by the flesh because you know you, you'll disqualify yourself. Every time you judge yourself by the flesh, you will disqualify yourself. I didn't say God will disqualify you. I said you'll disqualify yourself. So see, the moment you start judging yourself, I mean, Lord, forgive me all those sins that I did today and the ones I don't know about. The ones, you know, it's like, I have enough problems with the ones I know about. Without the ones I don't know about. And you see, when, when you start judging yourself, you start scrutinizing yourself, you start seeing all of your imperfections and all your weaknesses. Rather than looking at ourselves and reading our Bibles, as Pastor Tom puts it, through gospel glasses, we start reading it through our behavior. Therefore, we walk around with fearful expectation of judgment. In other words, we're afraid something's going to happen because we have not performed well enough. And so therefore, when it comes time for communion, I mean, my goodness. I used to do this. All right, we're going to have communion today. And I'll just go ahead and tell you that if you've done anything wrong this week, or had even one bad thought, for God's sake, don't take communion. Well, that eliminates everybody. 
my wife grew up in a denominational church, and I used to, I wouldn't I was not a Christian, so we was in school, you know, as sweethearts, and so I'd go to church with her occasionally, sometimes, you know, just just so I could be with her. I didn't care about church; I just went with her. And um, so I always liked to go, and I mean, didn't plan it this way, but sometimes we'd show them it was communion Sunday. I liked that day because I always liked to watch who didn't take it. Because pastor'd say that. Well, if you've done anything wrong this week, if you've been mad at anybody, got angry, had any sin in your life, had any bad thoughts, don't take communion. And I'd watch the deacons. See which one didn't take it. And I'd sit there, I'd ask James, Rick, what they did? Rick, what they did? No... Let's look at this, let's look at these verses. Now we're going to jump down in, in, into the, that 1 Corinthians 11 scripture. Let's look at this about communion. We'll have time to go through all these things, but, but, uh, you can go back and study it, how Jesus collected and bore our judgment. And all judgment was poured out on him. Jesus prophesied that was going to happen. Let's look at that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Starting at verse 23, and he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he said, This do in remembrance of me. Huh. After the same manner, he also took the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of my, and the, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. As oft as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. When I was reading my Bible for myself, and not based on what somebody else said about the Bible, and I noticed that it says there, when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. You know what we've been taught? Do it in remembrance of herself. Because you've done anything bad this week. Think about it now. If you've done anything bad this week, no, that's not doing remembrance of Jesus. That's doing remembrance of us. The yeah. Bible doesn't say when it comes time to share communion that you take the communion in remembrance of what you've done. He said do it in remembrance of me. I shared this in our church. Almost always happens because we, we have a lot of new people coming every time we do this. And almost every time somebody will come up to me and say, you know what, I've been taking communion. One recently, Tom, a lady came up and she said, I've only been here like a few weeks, and, and she said, I have been in church 60-something years. I can remember taking communion for 50-plus years. And the first time in my life I've ever taken communion and did not feel guilty. Amen. And she said, and it was one statement that you made, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Yes. In other words, when it comes time to share communion... The Bible says you take that communion in remembrance of the covenant that Jesus made with God our Father and the fact that He took our sin and He took our judgment so we could be in a love, life-filled relationship with Him, not based on how weak we are and our performance and all the things we've done. And You know, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if, if, if the way we have been taught about communion, I mean, I've heard preachers say this. 
Jimmy, I've heard him say, if you take communion and you've got anything in your life, you'll die. Well, they still alive. Anybody know what? You may know what I'm talking about. You see, we say in our church that when it comes time for communion, this is a time of celebration. It's not a solemn occasion. In other words, it's a banquet. It's a party. Why? Because we remember what He did for us. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, He says, You do show the Lord's death until He comes. Wherefore? Whosoever shall eat this bread, drink this cup of the Lord, uh-oh, uh-oh, unworthily, shall be guilty, uh-oh, of the body and of the blood of the Lord. Oh, that's rough. Listen to what it says here. That word, and we'll, we'll see it in a few minutes anyway, but that word unworthily, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's amazing what you'll learn if you just learn to study the Bible and throwing away everything you've ever heard. That word unworthily means feeling unqualified or unfit. Notice what I said. Feeling. You say you are. Whosoever shall drink this cup, feeling unqualified and unfit, shall be guilty. See, there there it is. Guilty. You're guilty. Well, let's look at the word, the guilty, word guilty means. In opposition to. To set oneself against. In other words, he says, when you take this cup and you eat this bread, and you take it feeling unqualified and unfit, you set yourself in opposition to... You set yourself against the finished work of Jesus. So when the, when you set yourself against the finished work of Jesus, the only thing left is your performance. Do you understand that? Do you understand that people who do not receive Jesus will be judged by law? That's going to be quick. That's not going to last long. It's over. Look what it says here. Verse 28. And he says, And let a man examine himself. See, there it is, Alan. He says, Examine yourself. That's what we've been taught. We've been taught. Okay, it's time to take communion. Everybody look inside. Think hard. Think deep. What have you done this week? Oh, I got angry at the, at the, at the, at the supermarket. I got angry when I was driving in traffic. I lied. You go through this all list of stuff and... No, 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 no. He said, let a man examine himself and he that eateth and drinketh this... Uh, so that he let him eat and drink this cup. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, same again, eateth and drinketh, damnation, come back to that, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You know what? Look at that in your notes there. You know what that word examine means? Examine for and in light of approval. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I know this is different. He says, let a person 
examine themselves in light of the approval that they've been given. In other words, examine to find out why you're approved. Why are you approved? One reason, Jesus. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And again, that's one of those verses. See, study, study the Bible. Brother, study the Bible to show God and other people that you're approved. Mm-mm. It says, study to show yourself that you're approved. And that you're a workman... That needs not to be ashamed. And it's only when you study the Bible to find out why you're approved and that you're a workman that needs not to be ashamed that you have rightly divided the word of truth. That's right. Now that word damnation means condemnation, fearful expectation of judgment. You know, if you feel like you deserve to be punished, this is weird. If you feel like you deserve to be punished. Now, medical science has proven that, and believes and has proven that every cell of your body knows everything you know. So if you feel like you deserve to be punished, that's what you believe, your entire body believes that. Therefore, if that's what you believe, your heart and your beliefs will start creating turmoil in your life that you can call judgment. I'm getting on an airplane in a few days. I'm leaving town. Now, notice verse 30. There's two words, different words for judgment or judge in this Verse. It says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. See there? There it is. You got all this stuff in your life. A lot of people have been killed over it. Well, let's look at it and see what it says. He says, For if we would judge ourselves, you know what that word means? Make distinction. Examine in light of approval. He said, if we would examine and judge ourselves in light of approval, we will not be judged, which means condemned or punished. Now, wait a minute. But, but, but I thought you said that God doesn't punish. No, He doesn't. All His punishment and wrath and anger is poured out on Jesus. But as I said, because of what you believe, you will start punishing yourself. You, your heart will start creating havoc and turmoil in your life, and, and we will call that the judgment of God. But you see, when you start really realizing, I'm going to examine myself, that's what we're going to do in a minute. We start sharing communion, this is what we're going to do. We're going to just sit here for a minute, and we're going to think about and, and meditate on just for a second. We're going to examine why we're approved. That won't take long. Because Jesus, what He did. It's not by performance. It's not by we didn't have any bad thoughts this week. All right, so he says there, For if we would judge or examine, make a distinction in light of approval, we would not be condemned. 
He says, but when we are condemned and punished, listen to this. See, here, here, here it is, Alan, here it is. When we're judged, let's just read it and I'll come back to that. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. Now, here's how we read that. When we're being judged, punished, that is God chastening us. Mm, not really. What he's saying is, if you don't examine yourself in light of approval, your heart will start condemning you your beliefs will start creating turmoil in your life. And it says, and when that happens, that God is going to chasten us. In other words, He's going to correct us and train us, as it says there in your notes, train as a child, I like this one, to draw back or lead back in the right direction. In other words, when I start having a lot of crazy stuff happen in my life, God comes along and says, hey, Alan, come back over here. You know, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to be experiencing this. You know, here, here's the path. But you see, because we've been so religiously trained to hear, you know, we, we hear what we're prepared to hear. We hear what we're prepared to hear. And so because we hear what we are prepared to hear, when we hear and read verses like this, we automatically start thinking that when something bad happens because I haven't lived right, it's God punishing me. No, when I start feeling that and I start having turmoil in my life and I start making mistakes in my life and my heart starts leading me in the path of destruction, God comes along and says, come on here, let's talk about this. Let me remind you of a few things. Come back with me. You know, but you see, interesting is, he's always speaking the language of love to us, but because we're preconditioned, we don't hear it. I think Arthur's got a, you got a series on that, Arthur? Language of love? Better to get that. Because of Christ, we stand totally accepted by our Father, and nothing can change that reality. Colossians 1.22 in your notes there says, Yet now has Christ the Messiah reconciled you to God in the body of His flesh through death in order to present you holy, faultless, irreproachable in God's sight and in His presence. You know, settling the acceptance factor is going to settle most of the issues in your life. Settling this identity crisis that we have is going to settle most of the issues in your life. And here's one area that's really going to settle things, your relationships. You can tell more about what you believe about God in your relationships than you can any other thing in life. I'm just so spiritual, you know, I just can't hardly be around people. Hey, a lot more spiritual than Jesus then. Let me ask you a question today. What if, what if, what, now think about it, what if what I'm telling you is true? It is, ain't no what if in this one. It is true. But because we've been so preconditioned by the church, 
And we've just taken what everybody has said about God, about communion, about this thing called life, about identity. That's been the whole emphasis this week. There is a born identity. Not an identity that comes from your performance, your good works, your ministry. Doesn't come from that. Your identity is totally 100% wrapped up in Jesus. And get this, nothing can change that. That's right. Nothing. No sin you've ever committed. No sin you'll ever commit can change that. Why? Because when God entered into this contract with Jesus, it says in Isaiah, it says, And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of his all. You know what that word laid on means? Made contract with. Entered into a covenant with. Just a few moments, we're going to share this communion together. And as we do this, we're going to examine ourselves in light of the approval that we have in God. Well, hallelujah. This message of Pastor Adam just blessed me. I remember when I was there, just, I just felt the presence of God. And I'm sure as you've listened to this, you experienced the same. We're going to have communion together. Now, um, we've listened to everything that Pastor Alan said. Jesus Christ came in the night that he was betrayed, and he took bread, and he broke it. And he said, take, this is my body. You know, eat of it in remembrance of me. So, take some of that bread, and when you're going to eat it, you eat it in remembrance of Jesus Christ. In what he's done for you. On what his body meant for you. And one of the greatest things that I've seen when it comes to the body of Jesus, is the fact that He became a human being and that He was broken, means that the man that relates to God through the law was broken. And we, when we eat of that, we say, we partake of that, we say that when He died, that law man died. And we will never relate to God through that law anymore. And we also, when we look at His broken body, we are mindful of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're mindful of Jesus, not just the fact that his body was broken, but the fact that he was also raised in a new body. And because he's got a physical body, he represents me and you. So when we partake of this body, we partake in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say forevermore, we will never relate to God ever through the law again. And there's healing for my physical body. I'm conscious of what he's done for me. Um, The flesh... That, 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 that gets activated or the sin that indwells the flesh that gets activated to the law is dead and I don't have to live in any sin anymore for I've been made righteous through the body of Jesus. This body that just wants to run away into all types of death because of um, or that uses the law to do it cannot do it anymore for I'm not under the law. And that's just one of the type of things that you can think of when you partake of the body of the Lord. So... Let's eat together. Father, I want to thank you for your body, the body of Jesus, that was broken for us, for everybody here at Web Church all over the world. May everybody come to this revelation that we've heard this morning and what I've just shared shortly now about your body and the death 
of Jesus, that we might partake of your body in a worthy manner. Thank you for that, my God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the blood of the New Testament. It's the blood that says that uh, when His blood flowed, it washed away all our sins. Amen. So, we don't relate to God on the basis of sin anymore. The basis of what do we do right and wrong. That's not the foundation from where we relate to God. So, when we drink of the cup, when you drink of it, we're going to drink all together. You do it in consciousness of the forgiveness of your sins. The consciousness that His blood, His sacrifice, has, has been once and for all. And no other sacrifice is needed for anything. And man, that is just so awesome. So when we partake of this blood, we, ta- we partake in the perfection of Jesus. That means we partake... Uh, I mean, if somebody's sins is completely washed away, if his life was given for us, because the Bible says the life um, is in the blood, if his life flowed for us and he was raised up in newness of life, it means that is ours. So we partake of that in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that when we take this, we take it in remembrance of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for that, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to give your blood and that all our sins have been washed away. Amen. Well, I believe and trust that you've been blessed with this. If you've been blessed by this message, please write us an email. I know that there's many people watching and um, I can see uh, the amount of people that watch. But we would like to get some response from you. If you can just write us just a short email, click there. I'm sure there will be a button there that says contact us or praise report or something like that. Just to write to us and we just want to hear what this communion has meant to you. It will be special to hear from you. Thank you. And I believe that this week coming, you're just going to have it with this consciousness of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, Wednesday, we're definitely going to have our cell meeting where we will discuss a little bit more about the communion and what it meant to you and whatsoever the Lord lays upon our hearts. So, yes, open your heart to just more and more of the knowledge of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Enjoy this week. And we see each other again next week. God bless you.